Welcome back to another episode of the Underwater Technology Podcast by the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. I'm Emily Boddy, Communications and Publications Officer at the SUT. And I'm Andrew Connolly with the SUT Aberdeen Branch and the SUT Council. In this episode, we talk with Rusty Yahangir, founder of Blue Robotics and winner of this year's SUT Gwyn Griffiths Award for Underwater Robotics. Rusty speaks about his appreciation of receiving the award and how he founded Blue Robotics to be a forward-looking, innovative supplier of robotics components, enabling the future of ocean exploration. Welcome to the Underwater Technology Podcast from the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. My guest today is Rusty Yohanger from Blue Robotics based in California, USA. Welcome, Rusty. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Glad to have you with us. I know it's an early start for you, late finish for me today. <laughs> Looking forward to a good conversation. So Rusty is this year's winner of the Gwyn Griffiths Award for Underwater Robotics, one of the society's many awards. Congratulations on that. The standard of entries this year was extremely high calibre. Always impressive to be able to see such talent and innovation through the industry uh, with underwater robotics. Congratulations yourself on being the winner. What does it mean to you to be recognised with such an award from the SUT? It's an honour. It's humbling. You know, I spent a lot of my life working in marine robotics now and put a lot of my heart and soul into it. So getting some recognition of that and particularly with Gwyn Griffith's name on it, you know, he contributed to the marine robotics space for longer than I've been alive. So honour to get an award with his name on it. Excellent. Absolutely. Congratulations. So Rusty today is going to talk about Blue Robotics and the founding of Blue Robotics and what's all involved in that. But before we get a bit more information about Blue Robotics, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm I'm 34 years old. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, uh, very, very far from the ocean, about as far as you can get in the United States. Yes. <laughs> uh, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a musician, actually. I, I came out to California to be a musician, but ended up falling in love with engineering. Along the way, ended up with two degrees in aerospace engineering. And now I'm here in Los Angeles running Blue Robotics. In my personal life, my most exciting recent news is that I became a dad about two months ago. Oh, congratulations. Still. Definitely good fun having young people running about to uh, disrupt the day job. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's a different adventure in life. Absolutely, yes. In the day job, Blue Robotics. Can you tell us a little bit about what Blue Robotics is all about? Yeah, so our core mission at Blue Robotics is to enable the future of marine robotics. But we do that by making high-quality, low-cost components uh, we started off back in 2014 with a Kickstarter campaign, actually, selling an underwater thruster that we had made like 10 times cheaper than anything else on the market. We had 360 backers, raised $100,000 of funding and sold 600 thrusters. And it's it's exploded since then. We've sold over 90,000 of those thrusters now. We've got about 300 other components in our online store. That's quite an impressive route to market through a Kickstarter campaign. I mean, you, you, you see various sort of consumer items you know get launched through kickstarter campaigns and most things of, of subsea technology are, are niche right so to approach a bit of subsea technology through a kickstarter campaign that's that's quite an impressive feat for sure was, i think it was the right time in the right place this was back in 2014 there'd been a number of drone kickstarters that were really successful around that time crowdfunding still had a lot of hype there were lots of lots of hobbyists and the DIY electronics and drone space was really hot. 
And so we kind of reached out to those markets when we posted this there. I actually personally didn't have any subsea background before that. So this was a good way for us to reach out to the world and it worked. I see. Yeah. You're saying there you didn't have as much of a, a subsea background. So how did your career lead you to get to this point? Yeah. Well, out of university, I worked at a startup that was working on quadcopter drone helicopters. Um, All right. This was back in 2009, 2010, before they were really popular, before you could just go down the street to the store and buy a DJI drone. Back when they were in people's garages and all these companies were kind of starting up, the drone industry was exploding. It was evolving really, really rapidly. And uh, I studied aerospace engineering, so I was really excited to be in that space and work on that. Through that, I learned a lot. Learned about brushless motors, I learned about propellers, I learned about autopilots and electronics, and I kind of got the entrepreneurial bug. I was working at a really small company and thought it was awesome to get my hands into everything, into the business, into the engineering, into the marketing. In the end, that company didn't end up doing that well. We had to wind things down, but I moved onto this and jumped into the subsea space, which I didn't know anything about but it was just a really exciting opportunity. The drone world was super competitive. There were like literally hundreds or maybe thousands of companies trying to get started in that space. And then I stumbled into the underwater world, which seemed much more wide open, very friendly, and has lots of beneficial applications. Yeah, yeah. Was it a specific thing that attracted you into the, the underwater side of things? It was mostly an accident, actually. My friend and I were hanging out one day. We both had robotics backgrounds and mm-hmm. we decided we wanted to do something fun. And we had also both learned to surf here in California a year or two before that. And we decided we were going to take one of those old surfboards and uh, we we're going to put solar panels on it, an Arduino microcontroller, a GPS, thrusters to propel it. And we we're going to like build this into an autonomous robot, push it off the coast in Los Angeles and send it to Hawaii autonomously. Uh, or that was the goal. <laughs> and so we started working on that. We found everything we needed for that. The computer, GPS, solar panels, all easy stuff to get. Uh, and then we got to the thrusters to actually propel it, and we could not find anything that was suitable. There were really expensive options, like a thousand to three thousand dollars, or there were these bilge pump motors that underwater robotics teams were hacking apart and putting propellers on. And you know, we couldn't afford one of those, and the other one would not last for a few months in the ocean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, found a lot of people looking for the same thing online, so we realized there was a hole in the market and started pursuing that. And here we are with Blue Robotics. Does that set you apart from different robotics companies in a similar space? Yeah, well, I think we approached this industry a little bit differently. Coming from the drone space, that industry like exploded overnight. And I think one of the things that led to that was the fact that there were a million components available right on day one. Because mm-hmm. before the drone space took off, there was 20 or 30 years of RC airplane industry that had been booming. That all the manufacturing had moved to China. So day one of drones starting to take off, you could go online and buy motors, propellers, airframes, landing gear, servo motors, all this stuff. So it reduced the barrier to entry. Most people bought things like that and then put electronics and software in them to turn them into drones. However, if you look to the underwater space, none of that low cost stuff existed. You know, I was going to have to spend $3,000 to get a thruster. If you build an ROV with six to eight thrusters, you're out $30,000, $40,000 just to buy some of the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Just obviously going to stop people from doing cool things with marine robotics. And so wanted to change that. So we've, we've always focused on low cost. We've focused on trying to have relatively high volume manufacturing, kind of kind of guessing that if we plan to make thousands of them and make them cheaper because of that, they'll do well and the economics will still work out. And that's that's turned out to be the case. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and did the surfboard ever make it to Hawaii? <laughs> did not make it to Hawaii. <laughs> I would still love to complete that actually, but we got distracted by selling lots of thrusters and having to figure out how to manufacture them. So it got shelved. 
yeah, something's got to pay the bills at the end of the day. <laughs> what sort of market do you, you pitch at then? And looking at your pictures, it was inspection sized ROV. What sort of industries do you get involved in? Yeah, so we mostly focus on making components. Like I said, we've got about 300 components in our store. So it started with thrusters, mm-hmm. but then once you need thrusters, you need watertight enclosures to connect them to, and then you need sensors and electronics and cables and lights. And, you know, the list just goes on and on. And so from an engineering perspective, it was really exciting because there's all this low-hanging fruit in terms of development. Watertight enclosures, for instance, I couldn't find any pressurated enclosures for less than five or $600, which just blew my mind. You know, we launched one for about $150 that was pretty easy for us to design and produce, and it's been really popular as well. So we approached the market not trying to solve particular people's problems or approaching any specific applications, but instead providing the tools for people to solve whatever problems they might have. And that means we get into a huge breadth of applications. So we've got lots of customers at universities, uh, researchers, robotics competitions, uh, lots in the ROV inspection space, in aquaculture, infrastructure inspection, object recovery, a lot doing photography, videography, making Discovery Channel shows, things like that. And then we've got a lot of customers who are building purpose-built systems. So the space for marine applications is incredibly diverse. And a lot of those require custom-built vehicles, and most vehicles out there don't lend themselves to being customized or modified easily, but we make that our first priority. And so people often choose our products when they need to do that, and they end up building really cool things too. Yeah, it's almost like the sort of open source style, like hobbyist style that you get, as you, as you said, for aviation drones or, or you know hobby drones, oh, yeah. which, as you said, you don't get in the subsea space because... It's, it's generally all big players that are in there and and they're not going to sell their own, or they might, I don't know if they sell their own thrusters, but you're effectively enabling a whole market there. It's, it's a really smart move. My inspirations were not other subsea companies, but companies like SparkFun, which sells little enabling hobbyist electronics boards or 3D robotics back in the drone days was just building autopilots and open source electronics. And I thought those things were super cool and that the underwater space deserves that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with, you know, a sort of slightly different approach to the market, are you getting slightly different customers approaching you? You know, is any sort of unusual applications? Yeah. I mean, I don't know who everybody else's customers are, so I can't say exactly, but but we do get a lot of unusual applications. There's some really, really fun ones. I think one of my favorites is that just like, you know, never would have thought that this would be the case was this light show in Germany where this company built robotic swans that were built out of translucent white plastic and had RGB colored lights in them. And then they were swimming around in this lake, lighting up, making a light show at night, propelled by our thrusters, using some of our components to do that. Never would have expected that. But when the stuff is affordable, you can do some crazy artistic things as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's certainly something that is quite different. These picture subsea applications being energy based or ocean science based you know that sort of thing but you know to have to have something like that's that's definitely quite an interesting thing to be involved in for sure i mean we have lots of more traditional mostly more traditional applications but i always like seeing those crazy ones yeah yeah sure yeah following on from that do you see any sort of transition and and diversification from where your technology is being used yeah and i mean i think the whole the whole industry is changing quite a bit when we started off in that kickstarter We were targeting hobbyists and students and very entry-level people to the industry, but it's been eight years now. And the same people who were students back then are now working in industry. The same people who are just hobbyists Mm -hmm. have now started businesses and the demands have changed. The industry is changing. 
And there's a lot of new opportunities. You know, there's more aquaculture going on. There's kelp farming going on. There's all these new industries that are opening up and require robotic technology to really do a good job. So what we're seeing is that not only is there more interest in general, but people are more interested in autonomy. They're more interested in using AI and computer vision to automate inspections or do a better job or get the human out of the loop. And people are making purpose-built systems for very specific applications like inspecting particular types of infrastructure or, you know, you've got some of the crazy applications like targeting one particular invasive species or replanting coral, you know, all these things that you can't do with a generic vehicle. You've got to build something special for that job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear a lot in the subsea robotics space about especially inspecting energy-related uh, assets. So it's, it's quite interesting to hear that there's involvement in, in things that are a bit different. I mean, the, the, the remote swan thing is is quite interesting of course but and you mentioned about monitoring kelp growth as well and that's that's definitely a bit different to what certainly what i hear in the industry um of, of subsea robotics it's all generally what's happening you know what can you inspect in oil and gas and and to some extent the transition towards renewables as well so it's quite interesting to see that you're you're getting things that are a bit different out there yeah i mean a lot of those industries have huge potential like the salmon farming industry in norway is i believe their second largest industry after oil and gas it's a huge yeah huge deal there. And I think there's multiple more industries like that that have huge potential like that. 10 years from now, you're going to be talking about them as mainstream ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And development of those products, you know, the thrusters and some of those other products you're speaking about, have there been any key challenges to bring those to market? You're starting from scratch. Yeah. Lots of challenges. I think the biggest one off the bat was that when I started this company, you know, we were designing this cool thruster, we sold them. And then after that, we had to figure out how to actually ship them to our customers. And so without even realizing it, we became a manufacturing company. Mm -hmm. I thought I was starting an engineering design company. It's actually starting a manufacturing company. And so it took a long time. I didn't know anything about manufacturing. So it took a long time to catch up and learn how to manufacture things in volume and, you know, have them come out the same way every single time with high quality and uh, I think we've achieved that at this point, but that was one of the biggest learning curves to get there. Yeah, sure, sure. And through becoming a, a manufacturing company, you know, do you sort of see the size of the company grow or, you know, are you at that stage of trying to take more people on? Oh, yeah. I mean, it goes through different stages. So we started in my garage, which is about, you know, 20 square meters, I think. We moved into an industrial park unit. Uh, and then we moved into another, added another one next door. And then eventually we had four of those. Then we moved into another building. A mile away. You know, now we've got about 50 people on our team, huge manufacturing floor, lots of cool equipment and things going on every day. And it's just constantly changing. Every every month you walk in and, and things are quite a bit different than they were the month before. No, that, that that sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds like a whole load of new challenges from from day to day and certainly some some exciting development paths, I'm sure, with as you say, beyond just thrusters, I mean there's there's a whole raft of opportunities that would be out there. There's just so much opportunity. Every direction you look in, there's exciting things to do. Yeah, yeah. For those who would be interested in following in those footsteps, what recommendations would you give to them? I guess those who are interested in a career in marine robotics in general, I would recommend getting involved in one of the many educational related ROV competitions or AUV competitions. Uh, we particularly like the MATE ROV competition, which is worldwide Robo Nation organization that runs RoboSub, RoboBoat, RobotX, all these like maritime focused robotics competitions. So that's a great place to learn lots of things. Several of my employees were former robotics competition contestants. Yeah. Did you get involved in the MATE competition yourself? 
I did myself. I did an international aerial robotics competition since uh, I was right, yeah. engineering. I actually worked in a lab that was like right next to a underwater robotics team. And at the time I was really into things that fly and I just didn't really pay attention to that. <laughs> the space I'm in now. Yeah. No, we had a great conversation on a, on another podcast episode with Joe Zandi from the ROV Mate competition. And that sounded like a fantastic program. Yeah. Great people doing very cool things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So no, thank you very much for those bits of advice for those who might be interested in joining the, the world of subsea robotics. So what's next for Blue Robotics? Well, I get asked that question a lot. And I think honestly, it's it's more of the same. What we're doing right now is working well. We've got the best customers in the world doing cool things. And we just want to keep enabling them with more component options, more, uh, you know, more powerful tools to get started in marine robotics. So we're working on a lot of cool things. I'm pretty excited for the future. You know, we're trying to get into more spaces just because it's exciting. We've gotten deeper into the sonar space. We're getting into other vehicles besides ROVs coming up next year. So there's a lot on the plate. Yeah, you have to juggle ramping up production capabilities and, and maintaining quality as well as keeping on top of, you know, product enhancements and product developments and keeping things fresh. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not fast. When we decide to make a new product, it's usually you know, at least bare minimum, probably a year, even for a simple product and can very well be several years to figure out that design, get production set up, make sure it's quality. It's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that, especially in the, in the subsea space. Um, that's fantastic. Yes. And, and for those that are interested in learning a bit more about Blue Robotics in particular, how do the best go about getting in touch? Uh, well, I'd recommend going to our website first. It's blueroboticscom uh, We also have an online community forum that you can get to from that website where we've got hundreds of users who are doing cool things, building uh, systems with our components, talking about underwater robotics. That's a great place to get involved in the community as well. And then if you have any questions for me personally, you can always reach out to me at rusty at blueroboticscom Excellent. Thank you very much for that. We'll include the details of both of those resources in the podcast description. So audience, yeah, if you're interested in finding out more, especially information of what other people are doing with your products, um, that sounds like a, a great resource. So audience, yeah, take a look out at the podcast description for links to those. Thank you very much for giving us a bit of background to to yourself and information about Blue Robotics. I mean, it sounds like a, a fantastic company, very innovative, great the way it started from a, a Kickstarter campaign. I think that's absolutely a fantastic story. All the best for the ongoing work with it. Thank you very much. We're definitely having fun and excited for the future of marine robotics. It brings us to the end of our, our podcast and, and we finish on our regular feature of Subsea Facts. Is there something interesting or unusual that you can share with us? Yeah, I have a favorite fact. It's a really it's a really simple, straightforward one, but it's impactful to me. Uh, and that's that the average ocean depth is 4,000 meters. You, know, you hear about the Marianas Trench, which is about 11,000 meters. All the work we're doing is in the you know 100 to 300 meter range, but average ocean depth is 4,000 meters. Uh, which is really humbling, puts into perspective how challenging it is to truly explore the ocean. You know, the type of equipment and resources that you need to reach that depth is extremely expensive, extremely difficult. It's a big challenge. So there's there's a lot of room for robotics to solve that problem and enable us to understand the oceans better. And I think that is is pretty cool. Yeah, it certainly makes you realize why there's such a small proportion of the oceans that have been explored. As you say, such an opportunity for for subsea robotics to play a part in exploring these uh, these unexplored areas of the ocean. 
Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much again, Rusty. It's, it's been an excellent conversation with you. I loved learning about how Blue Robotics has come through from strength to strength. And as I say, wish you all the best for the future. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you having me here. And again, honoured to get the Gwyn Griffiths Award from SUT. Congratulations again. Thanks very much for joining us, Rusty. And thank you, audience, for joining us on the Underwater Technology Podcast. So that brings us to the end of another year of Underwater Technology Podcasts. Absolutely. We hope you've all enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making them. Yeah, we've done dozens now, over 80, I think, and we've had such a range of topics. We've covered ocean science, scientific diving, making underwater movies, seaweed farming, subsea engineering, protecting our oceans, geotechnics and site investigation, underwater acoustics, renewable energy, a huge range of innovation. The list is endless. Absolutely. What a real variety of topics, just in keeping with the oceans of opportunity that are out there. So if you're not all caught up yet, then there's plenty of past episodes, hours worth of listening time to satisfy your appetite for all things underwater technology. Also, if you love a subsea fact, we have dozens of episodes where we include this feature, and we've even dedicated a special episode to just talking subsea facts for all of you fact lovers out there. If you'd like to keep in touch with SUT, you can go to our website, sut.org. You can also email us, podcast at sut.org, or you can find us across social media by searching for the Society for Underwater Technology. Thanks again, Andrew, for being a superb host. It's been my pleasure. It's been such an interesting series of conversations with everyone. And thanks to Emily for doing the hard work of editing. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much to our amazing audience for sticking with us. We know there's a lot of regular listeners out there and we hope you appreciate us as much as we appreciate you. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you.